Father, thank you again for your word. What a, what a beautiful light into our feet. Father, you have given us clarity about the world, about ourselves, about sin, about Satan, about demons, about you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You've given us clarity. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder about reality. We have clarity in your word, and we want to be under your word now. And I pray that your word would come, would come with power and with authority. And would we, by your Holy Spirit, submit to your word and be helped. Father, I pray against Satan, his schemes, his methods, whatever he's up to, especially tonight. Would you frustrate his plans and would you be at work in each of our lives and, and those who are not with us, would you be at work in their lives as well? And would you turn all of the, the plans for evil to good as you've promised you would? So we thank you. We pray that you would be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we're, tonight we're going to continue in our series in Proverbs. Only a few messages left, maybe two. So we are at the end of Proverbs and the gift of God, which is wisdom, and we're going to be making our way into Ephesians next. So if you want to read ahead and prepare for the next sermon series, we're going to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the book of Ephesians, one of the deepest letters in the New Testament. And you can look forward to that. I'm excited for it. Tonight, we're going to talk about wisdom for understanding and processing our emotions. Oh, yeah. Anyone need some help understanding and processing your emotions? I do. Yeah. Okay, good. So this should be relevant for all of us tonight. The Bible is not simplistic or reductionistic when it comes to our emotions or our spirits, our souls, the inner us, our hearts. It's very nuanced, and I'm thankful for that. So I'm, we're going to look tonight four different ways at emotions. One, we're going to look at we are created as emotional creatures. Two, we're going to look at we are complex emotional creatures. Three, we're going to look at we need help as emotional creatures. And then fourth, we're going to look at Jesus is the emotional help that we most need. All right, let's do number one. We are created as emotional creatures. We desperately need wisdom for understanding what happens to us in the realm of our feelings or emotions. We live in an interesting age where when you have a conversation with someone, you're most likely to say, I feel like, and then you tell them what you think. You know what I'm talking about? Now, I feel like we're just not getting anywhere right now. I feel like we're missing each other in this conversation. I feel like you're not respecting me the way I need respected. I feel like, and, and some of us can't process our thoughts without using emotional language. And this is interesting because I think we live in a culture that is highly, highly emotional. It is very attuned to feelings. Um, God made us feeling creatures. It's his design. And so the first thing that I think we need to rest in is that God made us to feel. He made us to have emotions. We are emotional beings. We should not separate ourselves from our emotions. We're not more godly if we can suppress our emotions. We are emotional creatures by design. Now, no doubt your personality and your upbringing, your environment and your home plays a big role into how emotional you are about the world. And we've all met people who are highly emotional. 
And then we've met people where like, is there any emotion in you at all? Like, do you know how to smile? And then you're like, yeah, I know how to smile. And you smile and it looks awkward. Like you've never smiled in your life. And we're like, what's wrong with you? Okay, I'm joking. Those are the extremes. Okay? But there is so much complexity that goes into our emotions. Uh, we need help. And, and the book of Proverbs helps us. Let's start with Proverbs 14.10. The heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy. Hmm, that's interesting. The heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy. Now, this is a broad proverb. Here's what it means. There is a broad emotion that goes from bitterness all the way to joy, and there's a lot in between there, isn't there? A broad range of emotions. The word bitterness there, literally in the Hebrew, means sadness, grief, trouble, mental distress, and anguish. The heart, as we've said in past proverb messages, is the core of you. It's the core of your being. It's the place where your mind, will, and emotions rest, the seat of them. It's where your motives lie. It's the you that's really you, your heart. This text is telling us that only your heart knows its own bitterness. Bitterness, again, means sadness, grief, trouble, mental distress, and anguish. And no stranger shares its, what's its, your heart, its joy. Joy means this, to be happy, to be merry, to be light, delighted, to be glad. Now, that's really profound. And on the surface, that's, oh yeah, of course. Listen, here's what's being said here. Only you can plumb the depths of your bitterness and joy, and no one else can get in there but you. And this is why sometimes we feel like we're missing each other when we have conversations or when something impacts me deeply and it doesn't impact you deeply. Your husbands and wives are like, how can you not be worried about this? Or why are you not worried about this? Or why are you so worried about this? You see, each person has their own, if you will, emotional thermostat or temperature. And it's yours and not someone else's. That's really important. Therefore, you can know yours better than anyone else. And only if I let you in a little bit can you know some of mine. Now, this is a picture, again, of the range of emotions. We should not be frustrated that people do not feel like we feel. I've often had people say to me, why are you not so upset about that? Or how can I be so troubled about this and you not be troubled about this? And the, and the answer is, your heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger can share fully in depth your emotion. Now, you guys know what empathy is, right? To be empathetic is to share emotion, but we can only be empathetic up to a certain point and then we hit a wall because I'm not you and you're not me. And that's important to know. It's important to ponder and to meditate. We can only share each other's emotions or empathize or sympathize up to a wall, and then we hit the wall. Paul here picks up on this in the New Testament when speaking to the Corinthian church. Now, in this context, chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying there is a wisdom from God 
that is in Christ that has been hidden, but we have it. We have this wisdom, and we speak it in words of understanding. And then he talks about the Holy Spirit being able to plumb the depths of God, which that is, that's mind-blowing if you want to meditate on that, because God is infinite. Literally, his emotions, if you will, God is an emotional being, made us in his image. That's why we're emotional. His emotions fill infinite space. His emotions are infinite, yet the Holy Spirit, God himself, the third person, can plumb the depths of God's emotions, his, his thoughts. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit, that's the inner you, we could exchange that for heart in Proverbs, of that person which is in him, we could say her. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, Paul is helping us here. He's saying, no one knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person. You know you better than anyone else. And sometimes, isn't, isn't that kind of troubling? Because it's not clear to us always what's going on inside of us. Yeah? For me, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like asking for clarity from God all the time. God, what is going on right now? What, what is this feeling? What is this sense? And what am I supposed to feel? And why do I feel this way? And so sometimes it's not even clear to us. It's, it's muddy waters. It's foggy vision. But if anyone knows us, it's going to be God and it's going to be us. And that's kind of deep if you want to meditate on that, and I think you should. Though we cannot fully enter into someone else's emotional state, we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, this is Galatians 6, 1 to 2. Paul wrapping up the letter to the Galatian church. Brothers, you could translate that brothers and sisters. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a state of gentleness. Now, this caught here is not the word that like you come behind them on their phone and you catch them looking at something they shouldn't be looking at. It's not that kind of caught. It's trapped like a bear trap closes on your legs when you're hunting in the woods. And now you can't get out. You're trapped. It's that kind of trapped. And see, all of us at times get trapped by certain sins, even emotions. We get trapped by them and we're, we're held captive by them. And Paul is saying, you who are spiritual, in other words, you who have the Holy Spirit, who have the fruit of the Holy Spirit, whose character displays that God is in control of you, because remember, number nine of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, chapter right before chapter six, is self-control. So when God has control of you, you also have clarity and control of you. And so if someone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. And so we who are going to do the restoration, we need to be gentle about it and never harsh. Never harsh. Always gentle. Always restorative. Now watch this. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. In other words, don't think you can't get trapped you can fall into the same thing that anyone else has fallen into. Don't think you're above any sin. You're not. You can fall into it too. And then, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, the burden uh, in, in farming terms, which, you know, the Bible was written in, in massive farming culture, burdens were put on animals 
with yokes, and then they carried burdens. Think of donkeys. You know, we don't have um, SUVs and smart cars. We have donkeys and horses and chariots to ride on when this was written. And so burdens would be whatever was linked to the animal, and the animal would carry it. You would link plows to oxes, and they would, beasts of animals literally plow through rough, hard dirt, and it would break up the ground. Okay? We have burdens. You come in here with massive burdens on your shoulders, as do I. And Christians are to be in each other's lives in such a way that I can get under your burden and help you carry it. And then you can get under mine and help me carry my burdens. This is Christianity. How do you know that's Christianity? Well, because so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest command? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, what? Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if you were burdened down, you would want to be unburdened. And so in the same way, you should be about unburdening others. And you're fulfilling the law of Christ when you do that. You're walking in his will. God, what's your will? Unburden people. Get in their lives in such a way where some of their, listen, heavy junk lands on you. Now listen, I understand, maybe not more than any of you, but certainly I understand how heavy others' burdens can be and how they can weigh you down to a degree that you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about other people's burdens. I understand that. And so what what we want to do as a church is kind of spread the burdens out, right? Please say yes. Yes, that's what we want to do. So can we get in each other's lives in such a way where we are loving one another? Because listen, if I have a burden, I need to have your help. And if you have a burden, you need to have my help. And that's the body of Christ. That's how it should be playing out. Please, oh please, I do not want to be a church that we only see each other for a few hours on Sunday night. And the only thing that happens is you basically listen to me for an hour and then we sing a few songs and we say peace out. That's not fulfilling the law of Christ. That's not biblical Christianity. We want to be in each other's lives in such a way that we are fulfilling the law of Christ, loving one another as ourselves, bearing one another's burdens. Now, that means emotional empathy. That means emotionally getting involved. And listen, I understand that there are some emotional situations where you step into and it wrecks your emotional world. I understand that. But I think that we are called to this kind of work as Christians. We are called to step into the chaos of other people's lives. In fact, Paul tells the church at Rome after his massive theological 11 chapters, he starts to make application in chapter 12. And he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Remember, the soul knows its own bitterness and no one else can share in its joy fully. However, Paul here is saying, as Christians, in view of God's mercy, so you are a Christian, responding to the grace of God, we rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, a twisted Christian, twisted, perverted, that's what perverted means, sometimes gets jealous or envious at other people's rejoicing. Like, I never get to rejoice. How come good things don't happen to me? And all of a sudden, you get jealous and bitter and envious at other people's joy when this is inviting you to actually go into someone's joy and your joy rise up. That's the invitation. You can have your joy increased in others' joy. 
Doesn't that sound good? Their happiness can spill onto you and you can become happy. But in the same way, we can weep with those who weep. We bump up against people who are really having a hard time and we enter in in such a way where their emotional state spills onto us. And I know that's not what we would do naturally. Our natural inclination is not to enter into something that's going to be difficult, burdensome, and weeping producing, right? This is supernatural. This is what God does in us. And we're moving on. Number two, we are complex emotional creatures. We are complex emotional creatures. Even in laughter, the heart may ache. Even in laughter, the heart may ache. And the end of joy may be grief. This is helpful. Here's what's being said here. It's, it's, it's at least two levels. Okay? On one level, even in laughter, the heart may ache. So we know that in laughter, laughter is a temporary situation, is it not? Like we could be watching a movie that's funny. We could be on an amusement ride that's fun. We could be eating a fantastic meal. We could be having a funny conversation with someone. But you can enter out of that situation and, and the ache can come back and be there, can't it? And the end of joy may be grief. Here's what I think this means. And I, I hate to even go here because I don't even like to meditate on these things. But, you know, we were sitting in my kitchen yesterday and, and my friend Vince was there and, and Frankie was there and, and we were looking at my dog and, you know, my dog is old and, and has tumors and, and as I look, every time I look at the dog, I can't help but think it won't be long. You know, and, and that's going to happen, friends. Listen, I hate to say this to you, but all your family members, you too, all your friends, it's coming for us, the ache, the grief, death, it's coming. And in the end, grief will meet us all. Okay? And, and I know that's not a happy thing to think about, but it's helpful. This is God's word, and he, God wants us to be ready for life in a sinful, broken world, okay? Let's be ready for it. Now, number two level, I think this is what's being said. We are so complex emotionally that we could be experiencing several emotions at the same time. Has this ever happened to you? Like, you're going through some terrible stuff, and all of a sudden, like, you're happy. And you're like, what is going on? But then minutes later, you can crash back into the, the ugly, and, and you might think to yourself, am I crazy? And the answer is no, you're really complex emotionally, way more complex than you can imagine. And if we're created by an infinite eternal God who is himself emotional and very complex, we should expect that we would be very, very complex creatures. And so even in laughter, you could be aching at the same time. Is this not what Paul said? Sorrowful, yet what? Always rejoicing. Like, how is that possible? How could I be sorrowful yet always, always rejoicing at the same time? You have to be a pretty emotionally complex being to be able to do that. To be simultaneously rejoicing and joyful. That's 2 Corinthians 6.10. So we are complex beings. Here's what I think we can have help for, knowing that we are complex. We can say to ourselves, the way I feel right now 
will not always be. You can remind yourself that. Because listen, some days you wake up and you wonder, can I go on? And the answer is, you're not always going to feel like you feel right now. Sometimes you feel so angry that you just want to destroy your own property and maybe slam your car off a bridge, you know, because you're you're just so emotionally charged. And the answer is, you're not always going to feel like that. Your emotions rise up and they come down. For those of you who are in relationships, listen, I know what it's like to feel deeply in love and to feel like that intense emotion for somebody. You who are married for more than a week, no, it comes and goes, right? Come on, married people. You're not on fire like the honeymoon the whole time. You're not. It's, so that's helpful to know. Like, oh, wow, I'm not the only one. No, you're not. They, emotions rise and fall like the waves of the sea. And we can say to ourselves, the way I feel right now is not how I'm going to feel forever. But isn't the feeling sometimes so strong that it feels like you'll never get out of it? Doesn't it feel like you're in that cage of whatever emotion you're feeling and the door's locked and you're trying to break it open and you're even kicking on it and it just won't open? You can't get out of it? You can say to yourself, this too will pass. This too will pass. I will not always feel like this. I found for myself recently that, man, if I don't get enough sleep, I am just emotionally all over the place. It's bad. And that just shows how fragile I am as a human being. I'm a creature. I can't go without sleep. Neither can you. You might think you can, and maybe you can for a few days, but I wouldn't do it for more than a few days. (laughs) Okay? We are complex emotional creatures. Let's move to number three. We're moving fast because we got a lot to cover here. Some of us don't know how to handle our emotions. Okay? There are tools that can help us as emotional creatures. Now, this is going to seem ridiculous to some of you, but listen, some of you actually need what I'm about to show you here, okay? This is called an emotion wheel. How many of you have ever seen these things? Okay, you've seen them. There are some people, because of their environment growing up, it was an emotionless home or they got no, you know, the love and affection and the attention they needed. They, they're totally disconnected from their own feelings. They don't know what they're feeling. They don't know how to articulate what they're feeling. They're just emotionless in a sense. They're just disconnected. This is a helpful tool for you. And listen, you're not less of a person if you need to engage with a tool like this. So this shows rage. It's got a little guy. He's ready to punch someone in the face. Vigilance, ecstasy, um, admiration, terror, amazement, grief, and then loathing. And they they lessen as they go down. And then you have in-betweens, aggression, optimism, love, submission, awe, disapproval. It's an emotional wheel. There's tons of these things. You just Google emotion wheel. You love emojis, so this one can help you, okay? We got (laughs) vigilance, ecstasy, admiration, terror. This one I love, amazement. Like, I'm blowing me up right now. Grief, loathing, rage. And this is helpful for some of you because here's what you need to do. I'm serious now. I'm serious. You need to get somebody whom you love and trust, and you need to confess to them that I am struggling in the realm of emotions. You need to be in touch with them, and you need to understand why you're feeling the way you're feeling and what's causing the feelings you're having, and then you need to process those emotions with God. This is a tool that can help. And we're not going to laugh at you if you need one of these tools. 
They're, They're helpful for those who need them. Biblical counselor and author Winston Smith, he helps us. And he says that we should reject the binary view of emotions. Okay, what's the binary view of emotions? Well, positive emotions, godly, mature. Negative emotions, sinful and needing of repentance. Winston says, no, we should throw out that binary view of emotions. Rather, we should take a different view. Winston says that we should, and I'm going to throw this up on the slide so you can see. I didn't copy his, his, uh, all right, I didn't copy it, so I'll just read it to you. We should reject the binary view. Positive emotions, this is the binary view, represent spiritual maturity, and negative emotions represent sin. So if we feel negative emotions, we associate them with sin, so we feel guilty about feeling them. Let me read that sentence again. You need to hear this. Listen. If we have the binary view of emotions, positive ones, good, godly, and mature, but if I feel negative ones, sinful, dark, and needs repentant of, if we feel any of the negative emotions, we associate them with sin so we feel guilty about feeling them. Winston says this, we need to ask these questions. Listen closely. How do you feel about how you feel? How do you feel about how you feel? Do you feel guilty for feeling guilty? That's compounded emotion. Do you get angry with yourself because you just got angry? Compounding emotions. If you're not sleeping well because you're anxious, does that induce more anxiety because now you're thinking, oh my gosh, if I don't get enough sleep, I'm going to be even more anxious tomorrow and I might crash and I might, and then, you, and then the, the whole thing just rolls out like a scroll of death. You're your own death prophet in your own head and now you're definitely not getting to sleep. It's helpful for you to be attuned to your own emotions and say, wait a minute, because I feel anxious right now, is that necessarily a sin that needs repented of? Well, maybe, but maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe it's a sign that's pointing to a reality that needs addressed that you haven't addressed. When you think about certain things and anxious thoughts or feelings or emotions come upon you, what is that telling you? And for some of us, the only way to process it is, Don't be anxious for anything, but with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. I should not be anxious. I feel anxious. I need to repent. That's not helpful. It's not helpful. That's too simplistic. What you need to say to yourself is, why do I feel this feeling I feel? And maybe pray and say, God, what are you showing me here? Maybe he'll put his finger on something that you actually need to address that you haven't addressed for a long time. And until you address it, the anxiety is not going to leave. Maybe you feel guilty. Okay? And, and vague guilt is one of Satan's greatest and largest destructive weapons. False guilt is one of his weapons. But maybe if you feel guilty, rather than just feeling guilty about feeling guilty, maybe you should say, God, what is this guilt and what is it pointing at and why do I feel it when I feel it? And maybe he'll reveal to you something that he wants to work on in your life. And if it goes, the guilt could go. You see, our emotions are actually helpful and signs. Even the negative ones can point to something that God may be doing in your life in that moment. 
And if you have a simplistic view of negative emotions and you just throw it out or you just suppress it, that's a good one. Like, I'm just going to ignore that. I'm going to put that in the closet. I'm going to close the closet. I'm going to padlock that and I'm going to throw away the, the number code. That's not helpful. And if we've learned that in our home, we're not an emotional family here. If that was your home growing up, you don't have to ask why you are the way you are and why emotions are a mystery to you. You can get help and you can process with God what is going on inside of you. I think it's so helpful to realize that negative emotions are not always sinful. They don't always need repented of. Rather, they should be processed in prayer with God, and maybe God will show you, this is what I want to do in your life. You could even think of them as warning lights on your dash. God, what are you showing me here? Now, I am kind of interpreting or paraphrasing Winston here. Negative emotions can be signs that point us to something we need to deal with or process through with God, rather than simply experience guilt and suppress the non-intelligent repentance of them. Okay, what do I mean by that? Sometimes we either suppress, push them away. I don't want to feel that. I'm just going to get that out of here, swipe it away. Or we unintelligently repent. What do you mean by that? Repentance means the turn. All right, I'm just going to turn from that. I'm going to not face it. I'm going to not look at it. I'm just going to go the other way. That's not helpful either. Rather face it, God, what are you showing me here? Why am I so angry? What, what could make me so angry right now? What is going on internally? What might I be worshiping? What idol could be being threatened right here? What functional savior is not coming through right now? Why am I so frustrated about this particular thing? And your emotions could be a door into further growth and godliness. But if you do unintelligent repentance, in other words, that's bad, I'm out of here, turn from it, and just walk away from it. That's just suppression. That's all that is. We need to work through our emotions. Now, some of us, you know, even talking like this, we're like, this is dumb. If, you're, if in your mind you're saying right now, this is dumb, why are we even talking about this? You're probably the person that needs to hear this the most. Seriously. Okay? We need to be what the business world calls emotionally intelligent. EQ. We need it badly. Because listen, if you're not in touch with what's going on in you, how in the world are you going to step into other people's junk and help bear their burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ? It's a good question, right? If I have no idea how to deal with me, how can I then step in and, and helpfully help you? You can't. You can't. So we need to process what's going on inside of us. Our emotions should lead us to God so that we might be helped by Him in the midst of emotional storms. So some of us in the storm of emotion that's upon you right now, it's raging, the wind, the hail, the lightning, the thunder. When that's happening, some of us are tempted to go to a functional Savior rather than the actual Savior. We go to sin for help. Get me out of this. And and we go for comfort and something that's going to just increase your misery and pain. Rather, our emotions that are negative can drive us to God, which is actually a good thing. Anything that drives you to God, friends, is a good thing. Because you connecting with God in prayer, in Scripture, meeting Him in the middle of the storm, that's faith. That's faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
Okay? So we go to God. Emotion is kind of like a language. It really is. And, and some of us just don't speak it well. And what I'm pleading for here, I think what, what the Bible would plead for you, especially the book of Proverbs, especially all the one another's in the New Testament, especially Galatians 6.2, would say, get an understanding of what's going on inside of you so that you might understand the language of emotion so that you might be able to step in intelligently with the Spirit's help and bear one another's burdens and help others. Okay? Now, I want to move on to number four, and we're done. Jesus is the emotional help that we most need. This is beautiful. For those of you who are new to Christianity, you need to understand that the Bible teaches clearly that Jesus is the creator God, the second person of the Trinity. John tells us in his gospel that without him, nothing was made that has been made. Therefore, who made emotions? Jesus. When Jesus came to earth and we read him in the gospels, if you have an emotional lens on your reading, you can see the emotions of Jesus all over the place. He had the wide range of emotions that the proverb that we opened with spoke of, from deep distress to joy. And I just want to highlight a few, just a few. Okay? So remember, Jesus and emotions, the creator of emotions, felt them deeply and entered into our emotions to identify with us. Here's the context. Jesus has sent out 72 of his disciples to do evangelism and discipleship. They returned to Jesus after their mission with joy. Why? Because even the demons were under their authority that Jesus delegated to them. So they would say to demons, be gone, come out of him or her. And and the demons would listen because Jesus had delegated his authority. They come back and they tell Jesus the stories of what had happened. And he says, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rather, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I was there. Think about that claim. I was there when the evil one was cast down. I witnessed it. I was a part of casting him down. In that same hour, this is Jesus. He, Jesus, rejoiced. Rejoiced. It's an emotion. That's that's a feeling, if you will. Rejoice. It's you outwardly express happiness, joy, gladness. What did he rejoice over? Well, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit produced this joy in him. And he said, out of his joy, I thank you, Father. So Jesus' emotion of joy compels him to do what? Pray and give thanks. That's a cue for you and me. Is anyone happy? Let him give thanks. That's worship, friends. Let your gladness, let your joy, let your, your gladness compel you to give thanks and worship. I thank you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, there's some deep theology there, that you have, and now he's, he's going to talk about what he's rejoicing over, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father. Remember 1 Corinthians, no one knows the mind of God except the Spirit of God. And no one knows the Son except the Father, 
or who the Father is except the Son and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So Jesus is rejoicing over here at this, that God, in his will, his mysterious will, chose to reveal who Jesus was and his authority to the unwise, the unlearned, and if you will, the nobodies of society. This was God's will and pleasure. Paul tells us not many mighty, not many noble, not many of renown. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And this is what Jesus is rejoicing over, that God has revealed to these 72, not the scholars. I have nothing against scholarship. I read scholars all the time. I love them, okay? I'm not knocking them. God is one who doesn't just dwell in the scholar's bookcase. He dwells with the lowly, and that's a good thing, right? Isn't that hopeful? That's hopeful because that means anybody has access to him. Anybody. And he he reveals himself to little children. See it? Revealed them to little children, the 72. Now, let's look at Luke 19, 41 to 44. Jesus is drawing near. This is after the triumphal entry, directly after the triumphal entry. He goes into Jerusalem as the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Messiah has come. He's fulfilling prophecy. Everyone's excited. Jesus goes up and he sees the city of Jerusalem. And look at his response. When he drew near and saw the city, so he sees something and it causes an emotion. He wept over it. Weeping is a godly thing. You're so upset inside that you cry. Tears. This is the God who created the tear duct using it, and it's not sinful. Jesus committed no wrongs. He was so troubled in his soul when he saw the city that he cried. Crying is a godly thing. Now, that doesn't condemn you if it's hard for you to cry. I've, I've talked to many friends who are like, I, I want to cry. I can't. I don't know how. And for some of you, you're like, how is that possible? It's possible. It is very possible. Because some of us are so disconnected, it's hard for us to feel that deeply that tears come. He wept over it, and he said, Would that you, even you, had known on this day right now the things that make for peace. What's he upset about? He's upset that the Prince of Peace is here, and yet they're rejecting him. If you would only know, if I could become the king that you would receive, I would bring peace to this land. I would bring peace to the world. I would have all the weapons of war melted into farming equipment that would produce food that produces life. The instruments of death only produce death. And the great promise of the new heavens and the new earth is all the weapons will be melted down and made into machinery that produces life. Isn't that a good look? Now listen, I'm not against weapons. Okay? We live in a sinful, broken world. We need wise, godly, Holy Spirit-filled people with some strong weapons. Amen? Because if they're trying to hurt your family, you need someone wise and with the Holy Spirit that's going to take action. Amen? That's a call for all of you to become master martial artists. It's a call. Get good at throwing axes. I see those businesses popping up everywhere. You should have axes all over your house. 
Okay. He draws near and he says, if only you would know what makes for peace, but now they're hidden from you, hidden from your eyes. Now, this is interesting because the one who hides in the previous verse was who? Who's the one that reveals? God. God is the same one that hides. And now Jesus is weeping over the opposite of what he just rejoiced over. Like, that's a little strange. Yeah, it's complex. Complex emotions. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground. And you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is a prophecy of Jesus about 70 AD when Jerusalem would be uh, taken by Rome and they would burn the temple and the temple gold would melt in between the mortar and they would literally take the bricks apart to get the gold. And Jesus is seeing in the Holy Spirit a vision, if you will, of what's about to happen to Jerusalem and all the people in it, even the children. Rome is about to come and destroy the city and the people, even the children. And he's weeping. He's emotionally attached to what is causing harm, what's coming for them. And he's saying, if you only knew who I am. And he told them before Abraham was, I am. It's not like he didn't keep them in the dark. He told them who he was. For which of my miracles do you seek to stone me? Not for any of your good works, but because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus was very clear with all who heard him, and yet they rejected him. Blasphemy, and they sought to kill him. Ray Ortland Jr., uh, one of my favorite pastors and theologians, he says this, Christ finds us and receives us as emotional jungles. <laughs> feel like an emotional jungle. Yeah. At times, I, I just have to admit, I got vines growing out and like there's overgrown leaves and there's wildflowers and dangerous frogs. But he does not turn us into emotional deserts. I love that. Look at the picture. I have um, a, a weird obsession with like Roundup, the weed killer. And, and so I love the summer kind of for Roundup, because I just get to go and spray unhelpful vegetation, and within a week, it just turns into nothingness, dirt. And what Ray is saying here is, God finds us a mess and unkept, like an overgrown yard or jungle, yet he doesn't come in with the Roundup and just destroy emotions with weed killer. Isn't that good news? He doesn't just come in and spray it all down and kill it. Rather, he cultivates us as emotional gardens. I mean, that's a good picture of God right there. A gardener. Isn't it an appropriate picture? Isn't Genesis 1 a picture of God the gardener? He sets up a garden, and he takes dirt with his own hands, clay, if you will, and he makes a man. God's hands in the dirt. A gardener. And he makes this beautiful paradise a garden. And he says, I want you Adam, to steward this, cultivate it, and then spread it out, make the horrors look like this. Take the chaos of the overgrown world I've created and order it like I've ordered this garden. That's your mission, Adam. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the beasts of the field and the, the critters that crawl. Have dominion. Steward them well. God is in the business of cultivating us emotionally like gardens. I love that image. 
Have you ever thought about God that way? That he doesn't stand there with his arms crossed and his brows furrowed and says, you better get rid of those negative emotions. Rather, he, he comes in, he meets us where we're at, and he begins to trim. He begins to prune. He begins to cultivate. He begins to make us guess like who? More like Jesus. For we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, even emotionally. Things that make Jesus weep would be the things that make us weep. The things that make Jesus rejoice would be the things that make us rejoice. We are in tune with what's going on inside of us, and we can express it appropriately to God. To God. Now, this is good news as well, that Jesus felt all the appropriate emotions in every situation and circumstance. Isn't that good news? You know why it's good news? Because he did it for you and I. He, as a substitute, felt the way we should feel in every circumstance and situation. He is our substitute emotionally. I I find that beautiful. And he's committed to making us people who feel the right way, who process emotions the right way. He's committed to that. And here's how we process them the right way. You can start this tonight. He has gone to the cross to reconcile us to God. Do you remember when Jesus in John chapter 12 thought about the cross? He he like got a vision of the cross and he said, my soul is troubled within me. What shall I say? Save me from this hour, but for this hour I have come. Be glorified. And then the voice of God comes. I have glorified my name. And, and, and see what Jesus is doing. He's feeling anxiety, isn't he? Isn't troubled soul? My soul is troubled within me. Could you not say that's anxiety? In the Garden of Gethsemane, you know what's happening to Jesus? He was so troubled and distressed emotionally that as Eddie told us last week, even medically, he is sweating blood. Jesus is troubled. Why? Because he knows he's about to face the emotion of God for our sin. It's called wrath. See, God is angry with the wicked every day, the psalmist tells us. And we were those whom God was angry with every day. And yet that anger landed on Jesus in our place. I love it. I love the gospel. I love the gospel. The anger of God lands on Jesus so it doesn't have to land on us. And now listen, friends, we are no longer in the category of the people that God is angry at. Rather, we get the love now. We are the ones whom he loves. All right. So that opens a door into you being able to access God with your emotions. So this is what you do every time. When you feel something, you need to process that with God. What's that called? Prayer. You have a wide open door into God's presence through Jesus' death on the cross, absorbing the anger of God in your place, and you have righteousness all over you that allows you to come into the presence of God without being consumed. The substitutionary righteousness of Jesus given to you as a gift. And now you can tell him exactly how you feel, even if it feels terrible. And you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't say, how could you feel that way? Rather, he meets you where you're at, and he wants to cultivate you like a beautiful garden. 
all because of Jesus, because Jesus made that way into his presence. And now God treats us like children. He changes us and transforms us. And listen, he changes us and transforms us to such a degree that not only are we doing better, but now we can come into the lives of others and help them do better. Isn't that beautiful? We can comfort others with the comfort which we have received. We can meet other people in the storms of emotion as we have been met in our storm of emotion. Jesus stepped into the storm of God's righteous wrath for us. And listen, we have to end here. Oh, there's that, there's that Winston. It made its way all the way down there. Oh, well. Revelation 21, 3 to 5. I love this. This is God's promise to us, friends. Read it and rejoice. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That's coming. It happened once, the incarnation. He's coming back again to the earth to set up a real, physical, worldwide takeover and it's all for good. It's all for good. And his dwelling place, Jesus, will be with us, God with man. And they, that's us, will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Look what he's going to do to us. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Friends, this is coming for you and me. We live in a broken world that elicits all that ugly right there. Tears in the eyes, death, mourning, crying, pain. We're in the former right now, but listen, the former things will pass away. They're not going to be our reality forever. This should be massively hope-inducing for all of us. So now we can live in the negative emotions, process them with God in great hope, knowing that these will not be forever. One day, I will not know these feelings, these emotions anymore. Isn't that good news? But when you feel them now, you can know this is a temporary situation. It's like a rental car when your car is getting worked on in the shop. This is a temporary car right now. It's a temporary body that feels these negative emotions. And there's coming a day when my negative emotions will be no more. And the beauty is, in God's mercy, the good feelings, the good emotions will only increase forever. Now, we can't even imagine that because we hit a ceiling with emotions all the time. We, we go so far and we can't go anymore. But in the world that is limitless because God is limitless, I think that we'll be ever increasing in positive emotions. It's beautiful. All right, let's pray. We're going to re- remember what Jesus has done. And as a faithful high priest, you know, Old Testament imagery, Jesus meets us wherever we're at. There is no temptation that has taken us that is not common to man. In other words, you have experiences that everyone else has. And Jesus is a faithful high priest able to sympathize with our weakness. You can go to him in your emotional trouble and pain, and he sympathizes with you. He doesn't reject you. He doesn't say, get away from me until you get cleaned up. No, he receives you and begins to cultivate and help you and meet you. 
So we're going to remember Jesus, who not only felt all of our emotions, but felt them rightly and perfectly in our place, but then made a way to the Father that we might have someone to go to for help and process our own emotions.